Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note about the foundation. We've started on our project to find every possible treatment for anxiety and depression and PTSD. No, we're not going to get to 100%, but if we get to 20%, that I think that'll be a big win-win. So if you want to find out more about the project, it's run by the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation. We do need donations of time and money, et cetera. So go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org to find out more about it. And today, my guest comes from Australia. He's uh, Jeremy Godwin. He's a writer, a content creator, and a coach. And we're going to talk about uh, his weekly podcast called Let's Talk About Mental Health, which has uh, 620,000 downloads and listeners in over 150 countries. So I want to talk to him about that and his other work. So Jeremy, thank you for coming. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your background. Like what got you interested in mental health? Oh, how long do we have, Richard? (laughs) I'll give you the condensed version. So I used to work in the corporate sector and in late 2011, I had a complete breakdown Went to work one day and I will just preface this conversation by saying that it wasn't like it just came out of the blue, but I was not really giving a a lot of attention. Uh, So I went to work one day and I just literally could not function. I remember sitting in my office, put my hand in my head and just went, "I, I can't do this anymore. And the next few days and weeks were a bit of a blur and I ended up spending three years with quite severe depression and anxiety. I developed agoraphobia, a whole bunch of stuff happened. And so coming out of that slowly, beginning to come out of that in 2014, I was kind of looking around and thinking, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, I'm I'm not going back to the corporate sector. I used to run contact centers and it was a very, very fast paced environment. 
and the business operated 24-7. So it, there was a lot of responsibility around that. And I was really interested in the things that I had been learning along the way through my own journey and watching my therapist as you know he was going through the process of working with me. And something made me go, oh, great, I'll become a therapist. So I started studying and went back to university and got sort of two and a half years in and went, oh, if I want to become a therapist, there's probably going to be at least another four years of study on top of this. And so I kind of veered in a different direction and did a bit of psychology, did a bit of sociology. Then I took on counseling. And along the way, my goal throughout everything that I was doing was how do I take the experiences that I went through when I was in my absolute darkest times? And how do I turn that into something positive? And that was kind of the singular thought that kept me going throughout all of it. And along the way in 2019, something just made me decide to start a podcast. And I did. And the first week I got four listens. One of those was me. And I was very excited. And now I have over 20,000 plays a week and get to talk to people across the world. And yeah, I kind of feel now like, what I went through. How do I say this without sounding too grandiose? What I went through actually feels like it means something now. Oh, good. I guess instead of being a, a therapist, why did you make that pivot and say, you know, being a therapist is not for me for some reason. And instead I'm going to, like, how'd you get the idea to podcast and talk to people and essentially be kind of a one step removed from being a direct therapist? Good question. Uh, the not going down the therapy path thing just purely happened by chance. I discovered that when, well, for me personally, everyone's experience is different, but for me, being on very, very high dosage antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds whilst doing a tertiary degree wasn't particularly conducive to being able to study the things that I needed to study. And, and it was really tough going. And I made my way through most of it and got really good results. But when it came to research methods and statistics, I couldn't do it. It was like, for some reason, part of my brain that could process mathematics and other languages just completely failed to work. And I, I used to be able to speak French at a sort of basic to intermediate level, can barely speak a word of it since. And so for me, it, it has been a real challenge in terms of being able to understand how do I adapt around that. And so it just took me down a path of saying, all right, well, I need to do something. And being a therapist is probably not going to be it because of the, uh, the research methods component that's mandatory here in Australia, as I'm sure it is elsewhere. And so, yeah. yeah when, what, when is, what is mandatory? Can you restate that? So we have research methods and statistics is a mandatory component of any tertiary degree for to become a psychologist in this country. And it's both at an, an intermediate level. And then you also have to do an advanced level on top of that. And then you have to go and do more postgraduate studies, which require you to do even more research methods and statistics. And it's the statistics component that my brain would not process because I put it down to the antidepressants, but I could not, I, I literally would sit there, look at it, and I would have the beginner's guide of how to interpret this stuff, and it would make no sense whatsoever. So something just wasn't firing in my brain when it came to that. I'm much better at it now, but not particularly interested in going backwards. So, so how to did you get your, the idea to do the podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so to answer your question about the podcast, it 
I like to write and have been writing for pleasure for quite some time. And I, I also love public speaking, which is kind of one of those wacky things that most people don't particularly enjoy. So it just became a, ah, look, everyone's doing that. I might, well, in 2019, everybody wasn't doing that, but uh, it, it just became a thing of, I'll give that a go and I'll see what happens. And I really enjoyed it. And I think I got to about the fourth episode and went, oh, this is a really good outlet because it was giving me a place to channel all of these ideas that I had without feeling the pressure to write something massive or, or put that sort of level of work out. So, And it just became a really good opportunity to have conversations with people, which over time, as I had more people reaching out to me, I was getting feedback from a lot of people around the world that my approach in the podcast is very much about how do I take these really complicated topics and boil it down to its most simplistic elements, but also provide practical guidance that people can put into place immediately. And when I say practical guidance, I focus on providing stuff that is based on actual research, not just my opinion. So why I did that? is that when I started looking for stuff during my own anxiety, depression, breakdown, all of that fun stuff, not so fun, it was very, very difficult to find anything that either wasn't just a whole bunch of theory and so was then the piece about how do you actually make this make sense on a day-to-day -day basis. Or there were lots and lots of opinions out there, but having been someone who has studied in the past, you can kind of read through and go, oh, all right, well, this is clearly just your opinion. Where is the actual evidence that backs this up? So for me, that was something that was really important in the work that I do, that it's simple and accessible, but that it is also grounded in fact and research. So what would you say is your conversation, what are your conversations like on the podcasts? How have you noticed that they tend to, to go? So every single episode is a short how-to session that I write and present. So what I tend to do is I will take one topic. For example, the most recent episode was about saying no. The one before that was about self-doubt. And with these different topics, what I do is look at it from the perspective of for anybody dealing with mental health challenges, what are some of the key things that they might be interested to know in terms of what this topic is? why it's relevant to better mental health, and more importantly, how to actually address that aspect of your mental health and well-being in a simple and practical way. And so that's the piece where the majority of my podcast episodes are how-to focused, as more than half of each episode is practical. And that is the piece where I consistently get feedback from people who have been listening to my show saying, this is great. It's helped me. I was able to take this idea and I applied it over here and here's what the result is. And that's what I was looking to do. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. So what have you noticed as you, I mean, how many podcasts have you done 
you know, is it 50 or 100 or 1,000? And, and what have you noticed along the journey of doing them? So this week's episode was uh, 105, so still going. And I've been running for t- just over two years now. And throughout that period of time, what I've noticed is regardless of the circumstances surrounding an individual's mental health challenges, be it anxiety, depression, addiction, all of these these different things that 20 to 25% of our population deals with at any given time. All of these things, the, the one consistent element with everyone that I speak to is that they're just looking to be heard and looking to be understood by other people. And so what I have tried to do in my podcast is to keep the content as broad as possible, but also strangely enough, by sharing part of my own story in most episodes and and talking about my own journey with the ups and downs, and I still live with anxiety today. Within that, it has very much been a conversation with people where I share so much of myself. My family aren't particularly impressed, but that's okay. That has been able to give people an opportunity to relate to somebody else talking really openly about what they've been experiencing and how it actually relates. So if you ask me, I will talk about the fact that the how-to aspect is what I'm focused on most in the podcast. But in fact, the majority of the feedback that I get is actually, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for talking about this and helping to normalize the conversation. And also, thank you for talking about the fact that recovery is not just a linear process. You don't just pop a pill and magically cure yourself overnight. And you don't just do one or two things and all of a sudden you're fantastic. You will have good days. You will very likely have bad days. You'll have all over the place days. And that's part of the journey. It's part of life. How are you using this in your own life to help you? How are you using this to help listeners? What have you figured out that uh, you need to do in the podcast to make sure you and the listeners are getting value? Well, I started it with my background before I went into contact center management was actually in training as a formal training in the uh, corporate sector. And so I went into it very much structuring each episode as a, a mini training session and being mindful about learning outcomes and things like that. And yes, for me, all of that stuff is somewhat important and there's still always specific outcomes that I'm aiming to achieve with each episode. But more than anything, I have found that the episodes that have related with people, that have landed the best with people the most, have been the ones where I've been willing to take the practical how-to advice and actually talk a lot about how that has and has not worked for myself. And it, for me, is has very much been this piece about First of all, accepting the fact that I am not perfect and I never will be. And second of all, also embracing the fact that for at least for my listeners, the kind of people who listen to my show are not the people who want to come in and talk to somebody who has three PhDs. They want to actually listen to somebody who has been through it and knows what it's like when it is a Saturday morning and you are struggling to get out of bed because you feel like the entire world is closing in on you. And so the thing that I have learned throughout this process is that the more open and vulnerable I am about being honest, that I have not great days, surprisingly, has actually been quite comforting to people. I think people just want to know that they're not alone. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, very good. I don't know. What what do you see as some of the major trends in anxiety and depression going forward? Well, without question, 
the pandemic will have a massive ongoing effect on mental health and well-being. And I guess at the same time as that, even before the events of the last couple of years, we have gone down a path socially speaking, and and I'm primarily talking about countries in the West here, but I think generally worldwide, we've gone down a path where we are far more individualistic than ever before. And we are more isolated and disconnected from one another. And then of course, the pandemic took that and turned it up to 11. And so the piece that I see happening and certainly is a trend that is being identified around the world in terms of mental health challenges is that people are feeling lonelier and more disconnected than ever before and trying to make sense of everything that's going on. So I think that progressively over the next couple of years, what we're going to see is people more and more leaning into a prioritization around meaning over and above the kinds of things that we've been told are important for happiness and success. We're already seeing that in the States, in the UK, in Australia with the Great Resignation. And I think we will begin, or not begin, we will continue to see people prioritizing their mental health and well-being above the things that are actually the original type of measures of success that we've been raised to believe are our priorities. Yeah, as a possible aside, have you spoken directly to people that have resigned from positions and found out why? I mean, I know there's yeah, millions I, that have done it, but I, you know, the news articles, I just I don't believe anything they say. So I'd rather hear from real people. Well, interesting that because the news articles will give you a lot of the very sort of generic or, you know, we've spoken to three people and if that represents the, the opinions of three million people. So, you know, I, I have a little bit of a, a concern about that from a, an accuracy standpoint. For what I have heard from people that I'm speaking to, and if I can provide a quick bit of context here, I was born and bred in Sydney, moved to Melbourne, our second biggest city in Australia, moved there in 2001. And then in 2015, my partner and I actually left the city and we moved to the countryside. And that was a decision that was made because we were not happy with the way that things were in terms of what was expected for you to focus on as a priority. And of course, when I was going through depression and anxiety really badly, I had to really kind of stop and rethink what were what were my priorities and what actually mattered to me. And so that's something I talk about quite a lot in my work. And so a lot of my listeners are, are well aware of my own journey with moving to the countryside and sort of you know adapting to the the good, bad and indifferent around that. And so I do quite, quite often get people reaching out to me and talking to me about their own situation. And I think in general, those that I have talked to, as well as clients that I work with, I think there's just a general dissatisfaction with needing to sacrifice or feeling as though you need to sacrifice every single part of your soul and your own, your own sense of agency and control over your life that feeling of having to sacrifice that for somebody else when you're actually not getting a huge amount in return. Most people that I've spoken to have just gone, do you know what? The last couple of years has proved that it doesn't matter. There's something I've said a couple of times in my podcast and also on my YouTube show where I've said, stop and think about what happened in March, 2020, when the whole world went crazy. What was the first thing that you did? Was it, did you quickly check to see how many new emails you had at work? Was it that you quickly ran out and bought an expensive pair of trainers, or did you get in touch with the people that you cared about the most? Because dollars for donuts, I will guarantee that most of us checked in with our family, our closest friends, and the people that we care about most in the world before we bothered 
with work or we bothered with signs of wealth. And so I know that sounds really grandiose and, and, you know, obviously everyone's got different opinions on that and I respect that. But I think if it all boils down to it, if you ask most people in this world what actually matters to them, most people will start listing their closest friends and family before anything else. And so that's fairly telling in terms of where our focus probably should be, as opposed to being in a rush to go back to the way that things were before all of this happened. What percentage of unemployment has Australia been having you know, throughout the past nearly two years? Officially, 5% is the average. That's the official. Unofficially, it is believed. That's the academic in me saying it's believed, which means there's there's evidence to and against this. It's believed that it could be upwards of 10% in this country and that some people, and, and I know that this is very much a, a position of privilege for a lot of people, but some people have chosen not to go down the path of actually applying for welfare and so therefore being officially unemployed. Certainly, I'm one of those people. I chose to live off my savings, which I was fortunate to be in a position to do that and to build my own business as part of not going back to working for somebody else. But yeah, it, it is thought in this country that it's a lot higher than it actually is. Have you talked to people that are still working and asked them why they haven't quit or why they continue to work when other people don't? Yeah, one of I, I have actually quite a few friends, but also a few clients as well. And the number one concern tends to be about money. We are one of, if not the highest levels of debt in the entire world per person. We we have some really ridiculous debt levels in this country, as a lot of countries do. And so for a lot of people, it's just a case of, I don't know anything else. And I'm so heavily indebted up to my eyeballs that I do not know where to go to from here. And look, I completely get that. When I, when I had my breakdown in 2011, it was to do with a whole bunch of things. It was to do with, it was to do with work working 60 to 70 hours a week with so much pressure. It wasn't funny. It was to do with a whole bunch of unresolved family issues and to do with being bullied when I was younger, but it was also financial. And I was nearly a hundred thousand dollars in debt and I did not know how I was going to cope with that. And then developing depression and anxiety and not being able to even physically leave my house without having a severe panic attack, all of a sudden I was like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to work? How will I pay my bills? And that for me was actually two years of some of the most difficult times because I basically had to just, in my case, I had no choice. I had to declare bankruptcy. It was a complete mess. And I can understand for a lot of people, even if they are not joining the ranks of those who are saying, okay, I, I want something different out of life. I can understand for people that might be interested in doing that because they want something different, but I know what the terror is like that can hold you back from doing that. And the reality is, is that we all have bills to pay. How do you um, see Australian culture changed over the past 20 months? And then compare that to like your person-to-person relationships or the ones that you observe. How has is, how is all that changed in the aggregate? Yeah, look, I make a point in my podcast of trying to be quite neutral when it comes to politics. And so that's something that I'm conscious of in terms of this question. And I I do that deliberately because I, I think there are lots of different reasons why people have the beliefs that they have, whether they're political, spiritual, whatever they are. What I have seen in Australia, and it is... I can't speak for other countries and I, and I don't like it when people speak for my country, 
But you can, of course, in the world that we live in, the globalized world where we are exposed to culture from around the world, I can definitely see in a lot of Western countries, including Australia, that there has been a much greater move towards the extreme left and the extreme right in conversations. One of the things that I talk about a lot in the podcast is this idea of finding balance in life and in general. And for me, one of the things that helped me to manage my depression and anxiety was about being able to move away from those extremes on either end and being able to bring myself back to a place of finding balance and equilibrium in everything that I did. And what I have seen in Australia in particular is that there is a greater level of misinformation. There is a greater level of disbelief of science. And all of that comes with massive risk because then what I see happening is that governments are scrambling to, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but here in Australia, our prime minister and our government are constantly scrambling to appease the opinion polls rather than actually making good policy that looks after the population. And as I mentioned before, we are in the midst of, well, I didn't say it in these words, but we are in the midst of a mental health epidemic, a mental illness epidemic, thanks in part to everything that's happened throughout the, the pandemic. And so when we should be making decisions that are focused on the quality of life of the people of this country, we are making decisions that are based on how do we appease the really small but vocal few. And I think there's a real danger in that. Oh, I think all the Western countries are doing the exact same thing you mentioned. So It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, again, not wanting to get overly political here, but if you just look at what's been happening with the COP26 climate change um, conference in, in Glasgow, it has been more of a political exercise. I mean, it's no real surprise, but it's been more of a political exercise than anything else. And it's just concerning because... This is going to sound like I'm back to my old days of working in training and human resources. But, you know, when you when you look at things from a, a standardization perspective and you kind of bell curve things, so you've got usually you've got 10 percent at either end of the, the extremes and then the 80 percent of people roughly sit somewhere in the middle on an equilibrium. And um, I think that the 10 percent on either side are getting way more attention than what is necessarily appropriate. And I think that that's doing a lot of damage to the majority of people that sit somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that makes total sense. I don't know, when everything's becoming politicized, what can people do mentally to keep themselves on track? Because, you know, when you mentioned extreme left and extreme right, I thought for a moment, I realized both of those opinions make me very unhappy to hear them. They made me angry. And I know I'm being prodded constantly by media, I'm sure everyone else is, to just be put into a state of perpetual anger and, and wanting to mm -hmm. fight all the time. So what do you do to combat it mentally? Really great question. And in fact, as I was saying that just before, I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's great, but you also need to make sure that you're covering off how do you actually deal with that. So there are a few things. This is not an exact science, but one of the main things that I recommend to people, and it surprisingly, this horrifies a lot of people, but it is actually to cut back on your news consumption. And hear me out for a second on this, because if you look at the news media consumption model, now, whether you're talking about online, whether you're talking about TV, radio, press, whatever, news media does not make money by selling good, happy stories about progress of humanity. We human beings have a tendency to err towards negativity because it's kind of that 
car crash thing of you drive past a car crash and you can't help but have a look. It's just human nature. And there is actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff that sits behind this from a psychological standpoint that I won't bore you with today. However, suffice it to say, there is research that demonstrates the fact that we human beings will tend to pay a lot more attention to the negative than we will the positive. And the thing with that is that when you pay more attention to the negative, you're actually primed to see more negative. Whereas when you are actively looking for the positive, you are primed to identify the positive significantly more than what you would be under regular circumstances. And so I got to a point several years ago, I mean, quite a few years ago, I stopped watching the evening news because it was I felt like I was just being bombarded with really bad news stories so that I would watch and see the ads. And uh, then I got to a point where I've cut back on reading the news online to once a day. And when I say once a day, I mean it. I check it at 11.30am and that's it. If I don't check it at that time, then that's fine. I'll just leave it till later. It is very much a case of limiting my exposure to it because I have learned when I've been going through everything, even before the pandemic, I have actually learned the hard way that if you read the news too much or you consume it, especially the 24-7 news channels, what you're actually doing is feeding yourself negativity and it becomes so much easier to look for and find negativity out in the world. Now, that's not a fix-all for everything. Let me just be clear and say I'm not I'm not going to be one of those good vibes only people because I actually think that that's taking it too far in the other direction. But you can be informed and only read the news once a day. I guarantee you, you do not need to know every single opinion that every random person from Timbuktu to Tulsa has. You can absolutely be informed. You also don't need to be constantly feeding yourself with the cycle of negativity that is that passes for news. I've done some other things. I've, I, on a regular basis, I go through my social media feed on Instagram and I will remove accounts where I feel that the voice is not balanced. And that goes for both sides of the conversation. I'm very much someone who tends to take a kind of three strikes. Let me try that again. I'm very much someone who takes a three strikes and you're out approach to things. So I'm not going to just stop listening to or reading someone because they have an opinion that I don't like. The reality is that there are nearly 8 billion of us on this planet, and we are never going to agree on everything all the time. And I think even this type of thing that we have, where we kind of expect that either you're, you're with me or against me, that in itself causes a lot of damage when it comes to your mental well-being. Because we are human beings. We've been arguing with one another for millennia, and we probably will keep on arguing with one another for millennia. It's about how do you actually focus on the things that we have in common rather than our differences? And also, how do you make choices about your own consumption that are in line with your your protection of your mental health and well-being because if you don't want to be bombarded with the type of hysterical headlines that pass for news these days then make a choice not to be bombarded by them oh, that's true i don't know like what do you feel like you're becoming a uh you know like they say people get a street mba do you feel like you're like a, a street therapist <laughs> from all the, the conversations you have like what, like what skills do you feel like you've developed from from interviewing you know so many people in the mental health field well, if I could just clarify, so I don't do interviews as part of, I, I will work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, but I don't interview on my show. But in terms of the conversations that I've had around mental health and well-being, I, look, you know, I've gone off and done a degree in, in 
in psychology and sociology and I've studied post-grad in counseling and positive psychology. And then I kind of have taken all of that and gone, okay, well, that's nice. And they just popped it in a corner and I don't use it that often because when it comes to working with clients on a one-on-one basis, for example, as a coach and a counselor, most of the conversations that I have are much for muchness in terms of People going through really challenging times, they just need someone to listen and they need somebody who's not going to judge them and who's going to allow them to say the things that are really on their mind and then gently prod them to begin to look for solutions rather than problems. And that doesn't work for everyone. I have have clients where the relationship hasn't worked out that well because my style, which is, you know, quite direct, um, it doesn't work for them and that's okay. So I think to answer your question about what have I actually learned through that process, what I've learned is that everybody wants to be heard. It just, it doesn't really matter. I think who you are, where you come from, what walk of life you're from. We all just in our own way want to be heard. And more than that, we want to be seen and valued. And in a world where the idea of actually being valued has almost kind of been pushed aside for this kind of surface level of connection that we have primarily on social media. As an example, I think people are starving for genuine connection and to genuinely be seen by another human being. And that's what I come across in most conversations I've had. Do you feel like it's helping you in your personal relationships? Is it reflecting back on your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... You know, it's, it's funny. Again, I'm really open in my podcast about stuff that I've been going through and am going through. And I, I have talked openly about challenges that I continue to face. I, I am in my forties. My mother, who I had a very difficult relationship with, she has dementia. And so that has added a really challenging layer of complexity to what was already a quite challenging conversation. And so even though I see a therapist on a weekly basis, which I tell my audience about as well, so they know, you know, this is not me saying I'm an expert. I, I kind of position it as I am a guide, not a guru. And I genuinely believe that anyone who tells you that they have all the answers is not someone to be trusted because we are all making this stuff up as we go along. And so for me, my podcast has become, yes, it is helping people. But one of the ways that I do that inside of the episode is to actually show an example of what I'm working through. And it's almost my second therapist in the sense that and people know things about me that I kind of forget that I've put out there. I do not listen to my episodes once I've put them out in the world. And then I might, you know, people stumble across me on Spotify or whatever, and they'll, they'll get in touch with me and say, hey, I've listened to your entire back catalog. And when you said this in episode 45, I'm like, wait, what was that? And I have to go back and check the transcript. So it really has become, it feels like every time I sit down with this microphone, it actually feels like I'm having a conversation a little bit with the therapist, but more than anything, it's like having a conversation with a really good friend. And so it's become a means of processing things and almost just looking at how do I get this stuff to make sense? But at the same time, if I'm going through this, surely there are other people going through. And and that piece with an elderly parent going through dementia, I've had quite a few people reach out to me and say, hey, I'm going through this too, especially people that have got difficult relationships with their parents. So it's been really gratifying to be able to talk to people about this type of thing. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Jerry, what's, where can people find your podcast? You know, can you restate the name and where are some other resources that you've developed that people can find? Absolutely. So 
Let's Talk About Mental Health is my weekly podcast with new episodes every Sunday. It's available on all of the major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and The Works. You can find the details at letstalkaboutmentalhealth.com.au. And on that website, I also have transcripts for every single episode that I've ever published. So if somebody prefers to read rather than listen, you can actually sit down and go through, and they're like 4,000 words per episode, but you can actually sit down and go through and actually explore the episode and pull out key points. It's all freely available. I also do a weekly show on YouTube called Better Mental Health, which comes out every Wednesday. And... So that is Better Mental Health with Jeremy Godwin on YouTube. And it's also linked on my website. Let's talk about mentalhealth.com.au. Oh, and I also do reels every day on Instagram with quick tips that people can put into place immediately in terms of improving your mental health and well-being. So I'm at LTA Mental Health on Instagram. Okay. How many um, podcasts have you done so far in the mental health space? Uh, Yeah, so I'm up to episode 105 and still going. No intentions of quitting. No, that's fantastic. You know, a hundred plus people in the same field, you'll, you'll know a lot for sure. I know that from experience. So excellent. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it. Good to talk to you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.